Please remain standing for our gospel lesson and sermon text from Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43. Again, give your ear, for this is God's gospel. Jesus says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Thus far the reading of God's word, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your son Jesus and what they reveal to us of your kindness towards us. And Lord, we pray as we consider your word that you would bless its hearing, that you would bless its reading and preaching, and that you would transform us into the image of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. amen. Please be seated. The gospel lesson today is drawn from near the end of Luke chapter 6, which is an extended teaching from Jesus about life in his kingdom, or life as his disciple, what it means to follow him. And like Matthew 5, which is a, a parallel passage, the Sermon on the Mount, maybe the more uh, famous of the two, um, what, just like Matthew 5, while Jesus has plenty to say about our outward behavior and how we should act, he always drives to the issue of the heart. And what he says in our passage today about our hearts is simple, and yet it's profound, and it's this, your actions reveal your actions and your words, but especially your words, reveal your heart. That's it. Conduct reveals character. That's everything Jesus is trying to get across, and now we can go eat lunch. <laughs> Just kidding. Like I said, it is a very simple point that he's getting across, and yet there's great depth here. And Jesus helps us understand our hearts better by giving us two images. He says our hearts are like trees, and our hearts are like a treasury, like trees and a treasury. If we meditate on his images, we'll find that what he says is actually quite profound and searching, and ultimately, it's critical for following him. And so as we consider these two images, the tree and the treasury, we'll see that our words in particular reveal things about our hearts. They reveal what the heart wants, they reveal what the heart has, and ultimately they reveal what the heart needs. That'll be uh, the headings that we draw this out on. What the heart wants, what the heart has, and ultimately what the heart needs. First, what the heart wants. In scriptures, uh, the heart refers to more than just the emotional life or the emotional experiences we have which is kind of how we use it nowadays. In the Bible, the heart is one's inmost self. It's the seat of one's intellect, so your thoughts, in addition to your emotions and especially your desires. Hearts in the Scriptures are primarily wanting things. So when Jesus says at the end of our passage, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, one thing he's saying is that your words reveal your heart, and therefore your words reveal your desires. And we understand this. If you, if you want to let someone know about what's going on in here or in here, you have to 
say something. You have to tell them. Babies from their earliest moments externalize their desires vocally. Right? They begin that as soon as they're born. Right? So your words reveal your heart. And Jesus uh, gives us these two analogies, the tree and the treasury. He says your heart is like a tree producing fruit, and it's like a man who treasures things up. Now a tree, or whatever other plant you might think of, is, is oriented towards growth and fruit production. It marshals whatever resources are available toward that end because that is its nature. You could take like a lemon tree, for example. My father-in-law in Corpus Christi has a lemon tree that is, like the gardeners say, it's the right plant for the right place. It produces lemons the size of softballs. Rachel has these wonderful memories of going and gathering buckets of softball-sized lemons. It's just perfect. And so if you think about that tree, why does it uh, put down roots? Why does it uh, grow towards the sunlight or put out leaves? All of it is for the purpose of producing lemons. And it's not doing that because it made a New Year's resolution to produce more lemons or produce bigger lemons. It's not sentient. It's not a goal. It's just acting according to its nature. And what Jesus is saying is that the fruit reveals the nature for every tree, as he says in verse 44, is known by its own fruit. You don't need to be a botanist or a gardener in order to identify which of my father-in-law's trees are the lemon tree. It's the one with the giant softball-sized lemons. <laughs> it's producing lemons according to its nature. And so when Jesus says our hearts are like trees, he's saying that they desire according to their nature. And they're also oriented towards an ultimate end and marshal whatever resources are available towards that end. The Bible teaches that every heart is oriented ultimately either towards worshiping and serving God or worshiping and serving itself. That's why the Apostle Paul in his great passage on idolatry in Romans 1 gives so much space to the disordering of our desires. In fact, it goes all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, as they reached for the fruit in the garden, they decided that they were going to decide for themselves. They would be God. They would be their own ends. And now when God curses the ground for Adam's sake, it says that nature will now produce thorns and thistles. That's not just an arbitrary punishment, right? You remember, as God comes to them, he pronounces a curse on the serpent and he gives uh, punishments to Adam and Eve, and he says for Adam that nature will now produce for you thorns and thistles. It's not arbitrary. It's an externalizing, a kind of externalizing of the effects of sin. If you're oriented towards yourself, your life is going to produce thorns and thistles naturally. And your words, Jesus says, are going to be one of the best places to see it. Right? As we go through and look at the actions of our lives, as you go through and look at the actions of your last week, especially what you say to people, you can see your basic orientation. Are you oriented toward yourself, worshiping and serving yourself and getting your own needs met? Or are you oriented towards God, worshiping and serving Him and loving others? That's the first illustration. He also says that we're like, our hearts are like a man who treasures things up. And you, you store, you treasure up 
those things that are valuable to you, those things that you want. All right, all of us have the kind of treasury that Jesus is talking about. Our, uh, it's on the walls of our houses. Right, some of you I've, I've told about how much time I love to spend in my dad's uh, finished basement. And if you could go down there with me, you'd see pictures of uh, baseball players, of my grandpa playing baseball and my brothers playing baseball. And you'd see a, a, a lamp made out of a baseball bat and autographs of famous baseball players. Right, and if you saw all of those things on the wall, there may be any number of questions that you want to ask about them or... or um, Asked my dad, but one thing you wouldn't ask him is, so, do you like baseball? <laughs> right? You would know. You could see the things that he's treasured up, the things that are valuable to him, the things that he keeps that are sentimental. So Jesus says that our hearts treasure things up, and they do so according to their desires. What your heart treasures up, what it turns over in the mind, what it spends time on, shows what it desires. And now someone is out there, saying, okay, well, that's all very nice, and uh, they're good analogies, and it seems very theoretical. Pastor, can you make it concrete for me? What is that? How does this actually play out in life? Sure, let me give you an example, one that I think uh, we've all experienced. Have you ever been working on a project or working on a homework assignment or lost in a good book? Maybe you were reading Lord of the Rings again. And your younger sibling comes in and says, hey, what are you doing? What's that? What are you reading? Have you got to the part where, or can I help with, you know, look at, okay, and then it builds and builds and it rises and then finally you snap at them. You go, hey, leave me alone, you know. I'm, can't you see what I'm working on something here? In that moment, what is it that your heart wanted of course, we might say, I, well, I wanted to be left alone. I wanted to read my book. I wanted to watch my show. I wanted to uh, finish the, the bookshelf that I was working on. But really, what your heart wants in that moment is peace. I just want some peace and quiet. I want to be able to determine what's going on around me. And now that's a, that's a petty dynamic. That's a small dynamic. It's one that we've all experienced. But that is the source of conflict in much larger uh, ways in our lives. The book of James tells us that we have fights and quarrels among us because of our desires. Right? Why do we fight amongst ourselves and our families? Why do we um, have conflict in our society? Why do nations have conflict against one another? Because of our disordered desires. We all want things. Hearts are wanting things. Of necessity, we all want. And we're all pursuing those things in a way that is either oriented toward God or oriented towards self. Our words reveal ultimately what we want. That's the first thing Jesus is telling us. The second thing that he says is that our words reveal what our heart has. What our heart has. That's what Jesus means when he says that men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush in verse 44. I can't go and pull apples off of my father-in-law's lemon tree for the simple fact that there's not apples on it. It has no apples to give. Or to use the other metaphor that Jesus does, you can only pull out of the treasury what is in the treasury to begin with. You can only get out what's in there. 
So go back to our example of being annoyed with your younger sibling. We'd like to say that we snapped at them, that we got angry because of what they did, because they annoyed us, because there was something happening out there and uh, it affected us. But what Jesus says is that we pulled that anger right out of our heart. You can't pull out of the treasury what's not already in it. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of the person are what defile him. From within, from the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, he says, come from within, and they defile a person. It's Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Look, let's say, let's say you have a, a tube of something in your house and the label's effaced on it. You can't tell what it is. It could be, it could be toothpaste or uh, it could be superglue and you don't know and it's important that you know. The one way that you can tell for sure what is inside that tube is by seeing what comes out when you squeeze it. Right? So the question, of course, comes, what words come out of your heart when it's squeezed? When you're squeezed for time, when you're tired and you've been up all night, when you're in physical pain, if you're treated unfairly, if those who are close to you let you down, what comes out of your heart? And the answer is, whatever's on the inside. And now as I look, I can see on some of your faces that you're already resolving to do better, to do better next time. And in a sense, that's very good. But I want you to stop and think for a moment about how we normally try to fix moral failings like this. Usually, there's two things that we resort to. One is we resolve that we are going to control our environment or that we are going to exert more willpower. We might say we would try to change our circumstances or we're going to try harder. Now, that's helpful to do in the short term. Um, And I'm not you know, totally against that. But if you stop and think about the images that Jesus has picked, you'll see that they cannot work in the end. All right, if I wanted apples rather than lemons, I could take my father-in-law's lemon tree and I could move it to Washington State and I could chop off all the lemons and I could plant it in an apple orchard. And maybe it wouldn't produce lemons or maybe it would just produce little ones. But as soon as the conditions were right, what would happen? Blam, you have lemons the size of a softball again, right? And it would never produce apples on its own. And I know that's your experience, and it's my experience too. You can manage your anger by not being around someone or think that you'll be less frustrated once you have a better schedule and everyone else has a better schedule. But when the conditions are right, blam, you're going to get lemons the size of a softball. You can spend all the time that you want making the environment perfect for apples, tilling and watering and tending, but the most critical factor 
for having apples is having an apple tree. You can change the environment all that you want, but a tree will marshal whatever resources are available towards growth and fruit production according to its nature. Remember? My favorite example of this is um, a story that Rachel and her mother tell about going on vacation to the Bahamas. They were on vacation, a mother-daughter trip in the Bahamas, and they're on the elevator at this hotel, and a guy gets on the elevator, and he, and he uh, says, how's your, how's your trip going? And they're like, oh, it's awesome. This is amazing. It's wonderful. How, how, how are you doing? And he's like, eh, you know, this place is too big. And they're like, oh. Well, I mean, it's, that's, that's okay. I mean, they've got, like, shuttles and stuff. They'll, like, take you around. It's, that's pretty cool. And he's like, yeah, but then you've got to wait in line, and it's hot. And they're like, oh, well, I mean, have you been down to the cove? The cove is nice. And he's like, yeah, it was okay. It was okay. It's not the best, best beach I've been to. It was all right. And they're like, okay, great. You know, and ding, and he gets off, and he, <laughs> he goes to his floor. And... Uh, <laughs> It's like, why, why couldn't he be grateful? I mean, the place that they were staying was literally called Paradise Island. <laughs> it's like, why wasn't he having a good time? Because his heart was going to produce lemons no matter what environment you placed it in. You can't change your environment enough. And the other way we try to solve problems like this is with willpower. We're going to try harder. But Jesus says that you can only bring out of the treasury what's already in the treasury in the first place. Look, every day you're surrounded by people, family, friends, coworkers, uh, church members, and they, they all need something from you. They all need love or joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. They need you to be self-controlled. They need you, to, need you to forgive them when they sin. The people that are around you that you see constantly are like guests showing up uninvited for dinner at the door of your heart. Now, if you stop and you open the fridge and all that's in the fridge is a, an old piece of bologna stuck to the shelf, it's not going to do you any good to wait five minutes and then go and open the door harder. What's in there is in there. But Jesus doesn't call us to this in order to despair. We really can bear good fruit. You really can have a treasury full of wonderful things. But Jesus chose these images to first reveal to us what our heart needs, what our heart needs to receive. And that's the final point, what our heart really needs. And this is really drawn from the surrounding context. Jesus assumes that to put into practice what he wants you to do here, you must first come to him. Look at verse 47. He says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. Right? He doesn't simply say, whoever does these things will be blessed and whoever does not will not be blessed. He says, whoever comes to me. The whole section of teaching even begins with those who are powerless to fix their condition coming to Jesus. It says in verse 17, we read at the beginning of this section, he says, And he came down with them and stood in a level place with a crowd of his disciples, 
And a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. Why? For power went out from him, and he healed them all. Jesus assumes that you will come to him in a desperate condition and there receive his power. The epistle lesson that we just read from James said that if you could find a man who was perfect in his speech, you would find a man who was perfect because words reveal the heart, remember? So I want you to consider Jesus. He always had, he always has a word and season. When he taught, Luke tells us that the people marveled at the gracious words that came from his mouth, Luke 4. When the guards were sent to arrest them, they instead came back to those who sent them saying, no one ever spoke like this man, John 7, 46. Scribes and Pharisees could not trip him up in his words. But most importantly, consider his words from the cross. When Jesus was pressed, when Jesus was squeezed, when he was up all night before, when he was flogged, and crucified, and in pain, when his friends let him down, when others mocked and criticized him, what did he say? Luke 23 tells us, beginning in verse 33, it says this, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them. How could he say that? I'll tell you. He had a perfect heart. It was only ever filled with love for God and other people. It was filled with peace. And when he was pressed, peace with God poured from his lips. Throughout his whole life, it didn't matter if he was tired or hungry or criticized or in pain. He only ever said what was good for someone else, even if the words were hard, because he only ever wanted what was good for others. And then he went to the cross to pay the penalty for you and me for having selfish hearts that aren't oriented toward God and are producing all kinds of nasty fruit. And if you see that, if you perceive it, if you really understand that, then it'll change everything. In fact, one of the thieves that was hanging with Jesus saw it. Um, our Luke continues in, in chapter 23. He said, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, seeing as you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receiving the reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It changed his heart, changed his words. Ultimately, it changed his destiny. I know this is the new year, and uh, some of you might simply be in the room trying to turn things around in your life to make your life better, maybe to get some help, try out a new church. You may think that the church is a better group of people to be around, a better environment 
or just part of your resolve to do better this year. And while it's, I want to applaud the sentiment that, that I want to do better in my life, I must tell you that it will never work in the end. Jesus doesn't offer you a better life. Jesus offers you salvation from sin that cost his life and a new nature, a new tree, new desires. But you have to receive it. You have to surrender yourself to him and quit relying on yourself and trust in his death and resurrection on your behalf. This is the great hope of the prophets. A new heart with God's law written on it, a heart of flesh oriented toward God and producing the fruit of loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what you really need. Most of us in the room already trust Christ, and we've grown up believing in Jesus, but we're all going to struggle with the remnants of that sin nature until we die. And this passage teaches us that before you run off to change the environment and get a better schedule or work harder, which are all fine and good things to do, you must first perceive and receive the grace of Christ. See it and receive it. So I want you to think about a place in your life where your words or your actions, maybe in the past week, past couple weeks, uh, reveal a heart that is bearing thorns, or at least not producing the fruit that God calls us to. And before you go to change the circumstances or do better, stop and ask yourself, in that moment, think about that moment, what is it that you actually want? What do you desire? And then ask yourself, am I oriented toward getting what I want from God, from Jesus, or am I oriented towards doing it myself? Maybe more succinctly, um, in that moment, what am I trying to get and what do I have to give? What am I trying to get? What do I have to give? So go back to our example of the of the uninvited dinner guests, all right? Every day, you have uninvited dinner guests. You wake up, and, and there they are. You come to church, and, and here we are. And all you open the fridge, and all you have is the dried bologna on the shelf. The results of the gospel is this. You can order in, right? They're there. You can order in. You, you should order in. You should appeal to someone with far more resources and expertise than yourself. And at the end of the day, Jesus has paid the check. Now, if the guests show up and you order pizza, as I have done in the past, you can't take any credit for the food. But what you give to the people around you will be far better than the stuck bologna that's in your shelf. So, where are you fearful, lustful, lacking in peace or joy, angry? Where are you covetous? Go to Jesus first for the forgiveness of those sins and then to receive what you need for yourself to give to others. Receive from him all the benefits of the gospel and the fruit of the Spirit and stay with him, struggle with him in prayer until you really have received it. And then give it away. Friends, Jesus here calls us to use our words and our actions to examine our hearts and receive all that we need from him and to bear fruit as his disciples for our good and his glory. So let's seek him in prayer to that end now. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, that he has paid the penalty for our sins and he is alive from the dead. We thank you for the spirit that he pours out into our hearts that we might love and desire you above all and that we might bear fruit that is good for others. And so, Father, we pray that you would teach us to come to him continually to receive what we need and to give it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.